Welcome to the Don't Overthink This podcast, where we try not to overthink it. My name is Brian Heath. And I'm Ross Jackson. Thanks for joining us again. So, Dr. Jackson, everyone wants to know from your last podcast, what's the status of your boots? Has it transitioned to cold enough weather that you've transitioned from clogs to boots? It's not even close, Dr. Heath. Not I'm even close. Still, still in the Birkenstock clogs. Uh, my guess will be transition uh, the Monday after Thanksgiving. Okay, well, uh, we'll, well, we'll check back in then, as opposed to the fortnightly check-in of what's the boot status. Um, and then later on, and when spring starts coming, we'll have the opposite of when does boots go away. I will I'm, say I'm, that... Go ahead. I'm sure our listeners can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> I will say I wore my boots for the first time yesterday, and they worked out great, even though they might be a little overpriced. And I haven't bought any sandals. But anyway, I, we sort of digress. Curious, I think a lot of your posts this week are related to uh, politics in one form or another, or sort of your perspective on them. What's the motivation? What are your thoughts around, you know, what's inspiring this sort of political commentary and ideas that you're putting out there? So, you know, I think it, it's uh, the time of the season. So, uh, you know, with the election cycle, certainly there's there's plenty of political uh, debate and acrimony and information around, and and hopefully my posts are are largely nonpartisan. I, I certainly am, am not advocating for nor disparaging one party or the other. Yeah, certainly. Uh, it, it it really is much more looking at two things. One is you know what what is the society in which we wish to live? What are the characteristics and attributes? And then more broadly, how can analytics be applied within that environment to, you know, to me, answer the questions about which we're debating? So to me, we, we tend to have these perennial arguments about political positions as, as if we're two teams watching a sporting game rather than these being empirical questions that quite literally lend themselves to being empirically tested. So, so, so to me, uh, a lot of the political fights are either about values, which, you know, which one do you put over another value, or they're arguments that are sustained because we haven't done the analysis to figure out what's worked and what hasn't. Yeah, I, I, I find that as I'm writing these posts, I'm always trying to just be very analytical, but I think that I found that by doing so, you sort of get a new perspective. So like our, the whole thing of analysis is about trying to, I guess, be as impartial as possible, just try to understand what the system is. Obviously some of our viewpoints will like leak in here or there just because that's part of being human. But I think that one of the things I've noticed, especially like in in the political commentary of stuff you see on TV or in the news is they'll say like, Hey, this analyst person will be on. And it's clear that they're uh, what I think you and I would call not analysts. They're clearly positioned for one side and making a one-sided argument uh, for either the left or the right. I think that is being a completely different sort of set of analysis than what you and I think about when we're talking about doing analysis of systems and things like that. Yes, I refer to those uh, type of people as hacks. How, so, what, what, how can one identify a hack? 
uh, a person who is a, who's a hack versus someone who is trying to disanalyze a system? Is there some tip or trick you could give people? Usually, if they're trying to sell something, they're a hack. Hmm. Is there any human interaction where we, there isn't someone trying to sell something? Well, you know, I mean, I think you know, you know that's sort of a, a ripple question, right? <laughs> how, how how close to the pebble being dropped into the uh, water, and and how far do the ripples cascade? I, I think maybe at the the most extreme, the answer probably is no. We're always selling something. But, but this is sort of the crass and obvious and level one selling of something instead of just sort of the, the broader existential need for acceptance uh, that, that we're all selling. Yeah. I think it's interesting that we get like clearly two different angles of this sort of selling that come that hit us. And there's not actually maybe a full analysis of what's happening in the system. And I think by doing so, we gain more insight into ourselves and as well as maybe the country when we see those different elements. One thing that sort of struck me in one of your posts I wanted to ask you about was, I felt like sort of our position as a country and how we think about politics and how we have these two areas maybe going against each other at times. If you were to look at like countries as like people who are aging through life, what stage of life would you might think the United States is in right now? You know, are they, are we adolescent stage? Are we, you know, mature? Are we, I'm just curious sort of how you might characterize it, because I think it could be interesting to think about in those terms of maybe the internal struggle we each face and how that applies to the country. Maybe there's some insights there as I was thinking about what's causing this dynamic to unfold. So that's interesting. My, my, initial, my initial position would be, I would say that we're as a nation, uh, teenagers in, in the life arc. But but I don't think it's accurate anymore. I, I think that we've I think we've hit uh, 21, and uh, we we've, we've started drinking, and we're getting uh, somewhat violent and um, distempered, and and we're finding out that we shouldn't drink, but we still think it's cool to get really drunk. So I I think America is now 21. 21. Do you think that the analogy is accurate? Sometimes I think it is. Sometimes I, I, I think the 21 is probably on point because I think back to some of uh, the gun host spirit of maybe being younger, not knowing better and just trying and going after it. And then I feel like we're on the cusp of maybe having an existential crisis about we used to be this way. We used to believe in our things and we're still questioning stuff, but we still occasionally like to go, like you said, and drink a little bit. Uh, too much, not, not just a little bit. I mean, a little bit in moderation is, is perfectly fine. We're, we're still binge drinking on the weekend and, and having a, a bad attitude, both while we're drunk and then uh, hung over. So, you know, I, I think it, this actually ties into to one of your posts uh, this week where you indicated that learning organizations are rare. And, and two of the things that contribute to the rarity is either that the way that we process, process critique or complaints uh, limits us from limiting, or that learning isn't an organizational phenomenon, it's, a, it's an individual phenomenon. And you know, to me, linking it back to two types of organizations, the Republican and, and Democratic Party are organizations and they have the, the, the types of internal dynamics that all, all organizations have. So, you know, I'm interested if you think that there's a, a link between organizational learning 
or the lack thereof, and the sort of state of political uh, discourse in America due to the organizations of our two parties. I sort of struggle with that post because I do think that there's probably analogs about how we think about how we learn as individuals that apply to organizations in some capacity. But sometimes I wonder if it's limiting us or there's some element where organizations just maybe are incapable of learning or maybe they just exist. Maybe they learn a little bit and it might be somewhat of, of an intentional sort of understanding of like, if you're in an organization that intends to learn and get improve and really learn and improve, not this, you know, write it down on a piece of paper and said, we're different than we were yesterday, but we actually are trying to, the goal of the organization is to improve. And I think it probably is possible. I wouldn't say, from my observations of the political parties and political systems, if it's so much as learning as much as it might be more akin to, I'll just say like survival of the fittest, natural selection, a nature imposed sort of learning, as opposed to like taking control of the environment. It's more about you have a good idea, you have a mutation, you run as long as possible until the other predator evolves and can, can take you down. And then the next phase evolves further. That's sort of where I struggle back and forth on are organizations innately able to learn or is it more of just a new idea occurs that becomes the organization it moves forward until it's no longer useful. Because I think our political parties have like gone in and out of, there's been multiples of them. Now they lasted a pretty long time for in human years perspective, but in, in the long grand scheme of things, it's like you know, nothing. It's just a blip. Um, and I that's one of the things that I contemplate about of which is the right or closer analogy to our situation. And if we can figure out which one that is, then maybe we can do something about it. Yeah, I mean, I think the the work of Lakoff and Johnson, metaphors we live by, you know, I think that what we're stumbling on is is the really the criticality of picking the, the most appropriate metaphor for trying to understand because it will shape and constrain what we do and, and what what avenues for improvement we even see. So, um, you know, I think this is good work trying to puzzle out what what is the metaphor that describes the situation our society in. Which one would you say? Which one is closer in your mind? <laughs> I'm I'm going to double down on the belligerent drunk. I, I think <laughs> I, I think we can make a lot of improvements if we assume that we have all of the coherence and rationality of uh, of a drunk twenty one year old. What are the strategies uh, that one goes about to get a drunk 21-year-old to, to maybe grow up a bit? Well, nothing, uh, nothing forces growing up like having real-world responsibilities. So, you know, I, I think that to the degree that we think the, pr- the problems that we're facing as a society are actually serious and, and not just positions about which to argue, is a good first step. That's sort of like getting getting a job as opposed to, uh, you know, going to college or living in your parents' basement. Uh, once you get a job, you, you tend to realize, oh, you know, I, I can't go out both nights out of the weekend for sure, uh, maybe just Friday night. And, and eventually you just understand things are easier when you when you go through a, a planned schedule and, and don't go on benders and all that kind of stuff, right? So, I, I think that right now we're still acting as if the social political problems are problems that it's just fun for us to, de- to debate about 
and, and hopefully win the debate as opposed to these are in fact serious problems that require sincere effort to resolve, not just campaign on. Do you think there's uh, works that can be done to propel the narrative forward to sort of, you know, you sort of said that a 21 year old gets a job and then they kind of learn through that experience. Like what are the things that are, that we should be doing, you think, to learn? Uh, like what, what are the jobs we should be doing? I know that we sort of uh, have world influencing and all that sort of stuff. And obviously we run around and we say and do lots of stuff, but is that part of the part of that job analogy is that there's a boss and there's money and there's responsibility that comes with it and someone's holding you accountable, at least in some capacity. How does that work for for the United States right now, do you think? Well, I mean, I, I think that at least in terms of climate, right, the situation in Florida, Florida certainly indicates an, an issue. And when issues impact a large number of people, uh, they, they tend to be hard to ignore. Uh, I will say um, there's a tendency to learn a great deal in the short run and absolutely nothing in the long run. So, you know, the, the, once the crisis has been resolved, once life goes back to normal, whether or not we sustain the focus and the, the unity that, that is achieved in crisis remains to be seen. But I, I think that every time that we have these issues, the, the severity of the issue, the rapidity between occurrences, all tend to suggest that this is becoming an existential issue uh, not just a political issue. And, and as it does, there's opportunity for us to take it seriously. Yeah. So, so I think certainly like the, like a hurricane natural disaster scenario, part of this, maybe mother nature is the uh, ultimate accountability partner. <laughs> right. <laughs> for, well, and, for, and, for the world and for the United States, 20 year old year old. And I mean, you know, this is, I think said by multiple people, um, certainly not said initially by me, but science and, and the natural world doesn't care what your opinions are, right? So if climate change is, is a serious existential crisis, th the fact that we're debating about it, whether it's open for debate, is largely immaterial to what science and the world does based on the realities of the situation, right? Our, our lack of understanding and our lack of agreement uh, doesn't change the reality of the situation. It just makes us harder. It makes it harder for us to address it meaningfully. Which yeah. I think actually ties to another one of your posts where you talked about um, the challenges of measuring things like meaning and purpose and solidarity within an organization. And, and I certainly contend that meaning is essential and elusive and, and certainly contestable. So, you know, how do you think as an analyst, one might go about measuring the things that are perhaps the absolute most important, but also the most challenging to get one's uh, arms around? The challenge, I think, of, of meaning is it's very elusive. And I think there's one approach where you can sort of manhandle it, where you just say, our meaning is this. So you see the mission statements of companies or organizations, you know, you could read the constitution and say, that's our purpose, our meaning, the pursuit of happiness and those sorts of things. But, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're measuring those things. I know there's like a happiness metric out there that 
someone that goes around and surveys all the countries and, you know, Denmark's always like the happiest, I think. Uh, and United States is somewhere in, in there, but, you know, not, but, not, clo- not close to the top. I think, yeah, I think yeah. the top five or six are all Nordic countries. So, yeah, but that's not necessarily how I don't think those countries maybe even think of themselves as, as like their main metric. You know, you look at like things like GDP, other economic financial metrics are like a lot of what we sort of end up focusing in on and what organizations tend to do. And those things kind of make sense because more mostly easy to get your hands around, but that doesn't necessarily capture the meaning of, of what you're trying to do. Especially if you look at it compared to what a person's mission statement might be. It's like, it has, looks like nothing like profit or, you know, do it. The, you know, I think a good example is the customer is always right. Let's say that that's like our value. It's like, well, is that really true? Because if it was, or if the customer is like the most valuable thing, then maybe you should just give your product away like all the time, because maybe that's more beneficial. If you believe in your, your mission of what you're trying to do, then maybe that makes most sense. But I don't think that's really what most people are trying to do. So I think there's this disconnect between what they intend and what they really mean, and then try to also what they actually write down. So there's this like weird dynamic that exists and trying to find meaning I think within a country or an organization or political party, I think is really a struggle. Uh, I, that was one of the things I was going to talk to you about. I want to ask you about is how would we measure political progress uh, or how would we measure country progress beyond the GDP metric? So if we say, for example, the pursuit of happiness, let's say that that's like a real, like that's what the United States is after. Would we, measured that way or is that just a stated meaning that doesn't mean anything in a in a real sense because it's not really our true purpose so so it's it's interesting so um i will say gd gdp per capita is is a, a metric that gets used often but internal to the country it's a meaningless metric right so the the value of gdp per capita is for comparisons across countries. And it's, it's just saying broadly, you know, how, how wealthy or poor is this country compared to other countries. Internal to the country would be the Gini coefficient, which measures income inequality, would be a more apt metric to, to measure. So, uh, you know, the, the degree to which there is more or less an inequality in the country. You know, I think, the, the challenge is that things don't coalesce well. Um, you know, things that we want to do based on individual accomplishment and people getting the reward of individual uh, accomplishment, which is important and has merit, and, and the sort of compassion that we have for everybody, what, what is the bottom, you know, those things are challenging to, to reconcile and, and don't necessarily have a simple answer. Um, there are disincentive effects that happen when you appropriate every, all individual gains and, and put it into the collective, um, the, the sort of Marxian notion of uh, everybody from everybody based on their ability to everybody based on their need, um, you know, at the, at the extreme, there's disincentives for those who have talent to do everything in their ability. And that's real and sincere and important and needs to be taken into account. You know, there's also very real social consequences for for having 
uh, rampant inequality. And, and the question is, you know, where do we strike the balance as a society and is society better? And, and again, I think, you know, if, if we come to a definition of, of what better means, it's measurable, right? So, so, I mean, even as a thought experiment, right? Is, is, this, the, is this the best that America has ever been? Is, what is GDP per capita? What is the Gini coefficient? When, when, when were things good? When were things bad? You know, I mean, all of these are are somewhat subjective, but but one could define what they mean by good or bad. So so you know, if if we gain some level of specificity, if if we measure it in earnest, if we attempt to do something, but we try to do it as scientists rather than politicians, right? I, I, I'm not necessarily so concerned about which position is right. It could be a Republican position. It could be a Democrat position. I don't really care who the the mother of the child of this idea is. What I really care about is, is this the correct idea? Does it have any degree of efficacy? And, And the fact that as a society, we don't test these things or hold people to account for whether or not this worked or didn't work. Um, certainly in an organization, in a business, in, in an academic setting, we hold people accountable for this is what you intended to do. Did you, in fact, do it? Yeah. So what metric does the 20 year old uh, who drinks too much <laughs> care about? <laughs> well, you know, I, I think um, there's there, there's uh, a few. Is the price but- of a uh, light beer? <laughs> There's a few, but there's only a few, right? I mean, people uh, people drink to to lose their inhibitions. So you know, they, whatever type of tomfoolery they they get engaged in when they have lower uh, inhibitions, uh, those would be the metrics that they probably are are making the decision based on. Yeah, I think the metric discussion is really a core element of of the thing that I took away from the last few weeks of our writing around understanding this sort of political element around how organizations work, you know, it's sort of like the management perspective is, you know, measure what matters and uh, you can't manage what you can't measure. I think having a deeper conversation about what good is, how do we measure that? What is purpose is a really critical element that I think, as you said, both parties as well as uh, organizations in general would be better if they took a closer look at themselves of what they're trying to accomplish and how we think about things and hold each other accountable. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm a big fan of incrementalism in, in the sense of, you know, I, I think, hope, I hope that as a society, we could all agree that it's an embarrassment if within the United States, any child or person goes hungry. So, so I, I think there tends to be broad agreement Okay, if if we want to have a just society, let's start with that one. You know, it, is everyone fed? And and if the answer is no, before we go up the ladder, let's resolve that issue. Right? It, it's it's an embarrassment. It shouldn't happen. It's a solvable problem. Okay, let's solve that problem. And and all the higher order debates don't even come into focus until we've resolved that one. And then the next one would be homeless. 
right? Should, should there be any homeless in the United States? Again, I think the answer largely across the political spectrum is, is no, we, we shouldn't have a problem with homelessness in this country. So after we fixed hunger, let's fix homelessness. And, and rather than have grand political debates, uh, especially on things like this, uh, let's have very small incremental focuses that we can nearly all agree on and, and put dedicated focus on measuring it and, until we've resolved the issue and, and can go to, to the next issue. Other, otherwise, it's just a muddled mess of, of contested goodness that never gets measured and everyone can point to something that's improved and say, see, I'm right. I think it's very well said. And uh, everyone wants to know, I'm hearing live feedback of uh, when, when are you running for office? Yes. <laughs> well, I, fortunately uh, for me in the world, I think I'm entirely unelectable. So uh, I, I would love to, I, I would love to be engaged in improving society. I'm, I'm willing to entertain the notion that that has a, a political component to it. Uh, but I really think uh, it probably is much more direct through, you know, things like uh, the United Way or uh, other, you know, charitable organizations. I, I think that we might as a society be able to circle back to the political platforms, but there's a lot of triage work that needs to be done before we get there. And I think there's this sort of, I think, highlights a lot of our perspective of how analytics can be useful from this sort of neutral position of just trying to understand the problem and how we approach things. And really, I think a lot of what we're trying to get to and over don't overthink this is this exact sort of root understanding and trying to bring this perspective to these really hard, challenging problems that we face, both personally and all the way up to country and geopolitical issues. Yes, and, and, and I would say that, that, that I mean, it, it, circling back, I mean, a lot of people may critique uh, for the podcast saying, don't overthink this. All you guys do is wax philosophical about uh, higher order things. So maybe the, the title is ironic. And, and I think that, that it's, it's playful, but not ironic. And that the truth of the matter is we're, we're not advocating for building the, the most accurate or precise model we're actually advocating for use use some of the rigor that comes from analysis, but get on with it and start measuring it and comparing it and trying to improve it rather than than overthinking it and waiting for perfection. Absolutely. I think that's a great closing statement for, for this podcast. Dr. Jackson, I appreciate your time. It was great chatting with you as always. I look forward to talking to you uh, in a fortnight. Can't wait, Dr. Heath. Always a pleasure. Awesome. Well, if you enjoyed this podcast, please check us out every two weeks. We will be uh, posting a new podcast. And every day we post multiple articles up on our website uh, at don'toverthinkthis.net. And thank you all for listening. <laughs>